0: Ubaldi reports. Hey everybody, this is John at Ubalde Report. The podcast provides fact, not fiction on issues facing America, whether internationally and domestically. And we're going to do two domestic things today. The uh, First, we want to touch on the um, Hunter Biden um, plea deal. And then after we spend a few minutes on that, then we're going to ducktail over to... But um,
1: first, tell them how they can get a hold of you, just kind of give them some information. That's a good
0: point. You can get a hold of us by going to you reports at gmail.com, or you can just check us out on all the social media platforms. We're located on all the streaming sites. So if you miss this podcast that we're going live on, we'll post it within a day or two, but you can see the rest of the podcast we did. And just so you give a little bit of background of all three of us, Joe bits, my counterpart was also a Marine combat vet in Iraq who was wounded. I did 30 years in the Marines with three combat tours to Iraq and Afghanistan and Ray Kraus was a Marine veteran who served his time as well. So, we've got veterans who just want to provide fact and let people know of what they, um, what are the issues out there. We're not trying to tell you how to think. We just present the information, and you do it what you want. We'd like to have, you know, debates back and forth. I'm not saying you have to agree everything we do, but we just want to have debates, and we try to provide as much fact as we can. But tonight. We're going to start off with um, the plea deal with um, Hunter Biden. This was based off the investigation that was done in Delaware. We don't know what the the scope of the investigation was, how deep it was, or how broad it was. Senator Chuck Grassley, who's the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, asked that question. What was the scope of the investigation? Because Hunter Biden pled guilty to two misdemeanor counts of tax evasion, and then he was sent to some kind of diversion program when it came to um, the uh, the gun issue. And what I mean by that is, I work at a law enforcement uh, supply company. Not a cop. I'm not a police officer, but we sell firearms to the public and to law law enforcement for their off-duty weapons and stuff. And One of the things is you have to fill out a background check to get a firearm. No matter who comes in that store, you have to fill out a background check. Well, one of the questions they ask you on the second sheet, at least for us, it's on the second sheet, are you or have been addicted to, I can't remember how the verbiage went, but it goes, have you or have you not been addicted or currently addicted to any type of illicit drugs? And Hunter Biden signed it yes. Um, excuse me, signed no. That means he lied on a federal firearm application. So it's not a misdemeanor. That is a felony. But for some reason, he was allowed to have it batted down, and he went to some diversion program. Now, Ray, who's biting at the, the bit on this to well, talk about this.
1: And I, I'll get it back to him in a minute. I am almost, I'm always amazed that I pass – it's not that I don't have anything in my background to not pass a background check, but every time they're like, you're good, I'm going, oh, thank God.
0: <laughs> well, I think we're all like that. We're like thinking, what are they going to find? But the background check form is only as good as what goes in. But when you lie – and you got to look at it this way. What if that was – you, Joe, are you Ray?
2: This is this is way bigger and, than just us. I, I mean, you know, I've been chomping at the bit for this and, and before, a good reason. Okay, why. before
0: we Ray responds, I just want to let our listeners know Ray is he's a gunsmith. He is starting to set up his own um, gun range. He's a
1: Second Amendment aficionado. And he,
0: is, he knows a lot of the issues. He's a Second Amendment aficionado, like Joe had mentioned. So he knows what he's talking about. And before, I, I don't want to put words in Ray's mouth, is if a president's son can get off, how many people were convicted for doing what Hunter Biden did? Yes. And that's the point here.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, we're, we're going above – this is almost a special circumstance because you have to look at who Hunter Biden's father is and all the legislation that he's brought to this country – to combat this very thing that his son was charged.
0: Well, but see but the point that you made on that is Joe Biden campaigned and even as president he said anybody should be you violate gun laws, you should be convicted but and a, there's a high yes. level you would get more than 10 years. Yes. but now his son and then his the the spouse of his of his deceased son, who had a relationship with Hunter just willily threw a gun. In right. a dumpster near a school. So,
2: so you have the, the safety aspect where there is no safety, and anybody, a, a child could have picked that gun up, and, and we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. No, we don't. But, you know, your his father passed something that, you know, he's legislated. He has an assault weapons ban in the 90s. He has the bill in there that you get a mandatory seven, minimum seven years as a, as a federal charge. So why is it that your son gets to go, oops, my bad, and no repercussions, yet you are going to lay that specific law that your son just got charged on to every American in the United States, and they don't have the, whoops, I'll plead guilty, my bad thing. Well, but here's the point.
0: is they talk about people of color, how many minorities were convicted of the very same thing that – his son did probably too many.
1: Well, I I, I talked about that uh, earlier. Was like, does that set precedence on future cases or even past cases? Can they kind of go? Can they retro go back and be like, no, I don't hey, know if if he didn't get, you know, for this, you know, I'm pretty sure that the same crime matches up almost to the t of like. Throwing it out?
0: Now, uh, that I don't know. There if should you can, be that I don't know if you can retroactively go back and say, "Well, well, they can't because it would, a, I, we, it's the same I, with the I, marijuana." But, but it look, just says forward. But it just sends a it's rules not a the bad not message. Me. <laughs> it just says it, it stinks. It just shows. But on this whole thing, like when Hunter Biden was uh, pled guilty to two um, uh, misdemeanor charges for tax evasion and the diversion for the gun charge, but the one key element was missing was why wasn't he charged with failing to file as a foreign agent? That's what got Paul Manafort arrested and others arrested. They threw it so willy-nilly when it was Donald Trump. So you may, like I tell people this, you may hate Donald Trump, but why is it one side gets the screws handed to him and the other side didn't? John Podesta, who helped run Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, he was um, did work on in, overseas. He wasn't charged with the um, with anything, but you go after everybody else.
2: Yes, I, I, and I mean to reiterate, just for our listeners, Hunter Biden got charged with some of the same crimes as Republicans. So how come he is off the hook? But we're watching on national TV you know, Donald Trump and, and his administration have to go through.
0: Well, but it's all they, that. It's just the way they handled anything that did with Trump is one thing. And re- before we go on to this other subject about what was the crux of, or at least the, the topic is John Durham, who was appointed by William Barr to look into what happened. How did this thing get started with the Russian collusion narrative? And he was on Capitol Hill yesterday in front of the House Judiciary Committee in a closed-door meeting. Well, then he was on Capitol Hill today in an open setting, and he, he laid it out. And he basically said, in no uncertain terms, that so all started and was predicated by Hillary Clinton pushing this narrative to the FBI, and these, um, the FBI and DOJ jumped at it without even doing due diligence. One of the agents who was supposedly investigating this John Derman um, told him and showed him one of the 1023 forms or other evidence. He goes, did you see this? And he goes, no, this agent was so upset. He had to compose himself outside with his lawyer because he was never told this. But then John Brennan, who was the CIA director in the early fall of 2016, before the 2016 election, briefed then-President Biden, then President, I mean, Vice President Joe Biden and Loretta Lynch and a few others about that. It was Hillary Clinton pushing this narrative to take it off, the pain off her because of her email scandals. And like I said earlier, this, because you don't like Donald Trump, does he get less justice than somebody else? And remember, the wheels of justice could swing your way as well. So... It was just interesting how things were um were going. But but as we don't want to spend all our time on that, the the real issue that we're gonna bring up is America versus China. And the reason I bring that up, there's been numerous um exercises and one was conducted or at least dozens were conducted by the Center for Strategic International Studies based in Washington. They're a very prominent foreign policy and national security think tank and they conducted about 24 different military exercises and they used the scenario of China going into Taiwan and they changed the parameters, changed the algorithms and in each case the United States either wins a Pyrrhic victory or we lose and basically if the Pyrrhic victory means we lo- we win but it is such a bloody win between Taiwan, Japan and the United States that we lose two aircraft carriers, dozens of capital ships, and almost 500 aircraft. And because of decisions that were made over the last decades after the end of the Cold War, our defense industrial base has been depleted. So they consolidated. So you sometimes you have one company making one of the key weapons, let's say Stingers, is made only by one company. So that's going to hamper us because we would expend— through this, these exercises, within one week, we would expend all our munitions because we're giving munitions to um, Ukraine. We're not backfilling our own stockpile. And this exercise mentioned that it would take 13 years before we can replenish our stock.
1: But you're talking about now, though. I mean, you're talking about the, um, what we're facing now, but I mean, I, I kind of go to past like past events where you know America's been in a situation when World War One and World War two where they weren't necessarily the underdogs, but they just weren't ready to come into the fight yet and I mean, if you're talking about like weak leadership who who do we have we had
0: woodrow Wilson Woodrow Wilson was in World War one World War
1: One, right? and he didn't want to bring. He did not want to go into uh, Both times. yeah, but he did not want to go over there and be like, all right, let's bring our men and women over there. No, he was really reluctant to do so, and he minimalized it there to the point where they were just kind of like, it was like, oh, oh, like the front door was open, you walk through the back door, guess what? Boot camp, boom boom, you're you're on you're but going the you're going overseas.
0: Is, but the difference in those periods that you're mentioning. When we entered World War One, we were still unprepared. Okay. If you look at the beginning of the war, it took us time. Now, if you look at World War Two, mm-hmm. even it—World War Two started on September 1st, 1939. Okay. We didn't get in until December 7th, 1941. The first offensive action, true offensive action, was the Marines landing on Guadalcanal in the first few days of August 1942— operation torch where the army landed troops in north africa didn't happen until almost 11 months later we had to take time but this time may be different okay what i mean by that is we had time back then but this time things move so fast and so frequent so um readily that we may not get the time
1: you don't think we're gonna do so you think ukraine's doing an, an ammo dump with everything we give them or is it kind of like a situation where they're like um hey guys we're gonna need some of that stuff back there's because- still there's
0: still when they go into a combat operations you expend you've been there mm-hmm. you expend more ammo in war than you do in um peacetime. Now, Ukraine is using up a lot of the the weapon systems we give them. The point that I'm getting at is, if something happens like Taiwan gets invaded by China, mm-hmm. we would expend a lot of our um, our military stockpile. Now our navy hasn't kept pace. Like our our shipyards, we don't have a lot of shipyards anymore. Mm-hmm. And like World War, World War II, we we just cranked stuff out, but it still took us time to get there.
1: I really think you're missing an important factor
0: when it comes to the war.
1: And it's nothing statistical or statistics or ammo this or we're being taught that you're not putting in the American spirit when it comes to stuff like this. And you know, we might be at odds now, but if 9/11s taught us anything is that when someone is against us, we we come together for whatever how long that is and they you know our government knows this and it was the same thing back in world war one and world war two is that even though these guys were going over there maybe shorthanded, not well trained they had the backing of an american spirit you know of saying hey we're america we're going to pull this out but see the difference and statistically if you want to go there vietnam was you would consider a loss, but why? Because nobody here in the States had our back. You know, they were, like, as soon as we got, you know, we were a bunch of baby killers and, you know. But see, the
0: thing is, the only thing I would push back on that, you're right on the the, the American spirit, but the other problem our military is facing, and I wrote an article, and I posted it on my website, and it's titled... Um, America versus China. U.S. Mm-hmm. loses in a potential conflict. Okay. But one of the points that I brought up is right now the military is 50% short of its recruiting goal. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of things that go along with that. There's, there's the mental issue, the educational issues, the physical fitness of most of uh, the, the, the core recruits. Yeah. But also, where do the recruits typically come from now? Most of them are coming from the south. Mm -hmm. Very few come from the western, let's say the blue states are mostly coming from red states. Now, there's some come from blue states. Those that join the military, like for me, I joined the military. My brother, two brothers were in the military. My father was in the military. So they taught us about the military being a good thing. Now, my dad was an immigrant who fought in the Italian Navy during World War II against the United States. So he came, and his, the country of the United States adopted him, and he became an American citizen. But you also got to factor in, which I've always kept mentioning here, the, natural, the National Educational Assessment, based out of the Department of Education, reported last month that only 13% of 8th graders know anything about American history or civics. So how many kids know about our founding fathers? They'll, know, they'll teach them about how they were slaveholders. How many know about Alexander Hamilton or George Washington or Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson? How many know about, okay, just this couple a couple weeks ago we celebrated or remembered D-Day? How many people can explain what D-Day was? Or how many people know at the same time D-Day was going in 1944, two years prior, was the Battle of Midway? Mm-hmm. Ask any kid, what is the Battle of Midway?
1: I think. The lack of knowledge will not factor in. Um, maybe, hope maybe I'm for wrong. us, I'm like because I'm wrong. Well, on. when like the three of us went through boot camp, of course, we like for the first first phase, we got nothing but Marine Corps knowledge. This was this person. But see, this we
0: also a- had a knowledge. I was taught history about World War II, not just Pearl Harbor, Japanese internal atomic bomb. We were taught some of these things, mm-hmm. but beyond just this. There's some of the things like if you go by Sun Tzu, who is the famous uh, general who wrote the art of war and his whole philosophy. One of this philosophy was the um, the premise of how to fight without actually fighting. But what we've done, well, at least with this administration, is we put a sense of um, of weakness. When Joe Biden first came in in March of 2021, Chinese national security team went up to Anchorage to meet with the American national security team, headed by Anthony Blinken, who was the secretary of state. Mm -hmm. So Lloyd Austin was there, and so was Jake Sullivan. And the Chinese delegation spent about an hour just dressing down and saying how wrong and how evil the United States is. And the United States just sat there. That was reminiscent of Barack Obama going to Russia, meeting with Vladimir Putin, and Putin just lectured – Obama, so that sent that weakness. So then, when they canceled all the like the um, Keystone XL, then the biggest debacle happened with um, the pullout of Afghanistan and the way we pulled out. And just look at this year, we had a, at the beginning of January, end of January, into February, we had a Chinese spy balloon. Mm-hmm. We finally shot it down, and China's lecturing us. And Joe Biden is saying now, "Oh, the Chinese leadership didn't know about this."
2: How many days was that? Before it was we about got it, down.
0: it was about seven days, and wow. then just recently, Anthony Blinken goes to got a full tour. Yeah. Okay, but and then just recently, yeah, Anthony yeah. Blinken goes to China to meet with President Xi, and President Xi doesn't meet with him hardly at all until the last day. But he spent like a, almost a full day with um, Bill Gates, so it just showed weakness. And the other aspect that I mentioned in the article. Is um, what do you got? Someone's got a question,
1: yeah. From uh, hello or hollow, or it says, I think it's more complex than that. Most young people don't see any hope, uh, and very few lawmakers are trying to help. Okay, and he said, if I could address all three of his comments, so I will. No, that's fine. Uh, so why would a younger, you know, why would a young person put their lives on a line when there is uh, no hope either way? And so. I mean, No,
0: I, I, on this point right here, I would kind of agree with the, um, the person who made the comment is our leaderships on both sides are not given an inspirational, what would you do? They just end up attacking each other and say, I'm just, wor- I'm not, that guy's worse than me or that gal's worse than me. Mm-hmm. And they're not given like, when Ronald Reagan came into the presidency or he was running, he gave a vision. Whether you agree with it or not, he gave a vision what he was going to do domestically and what he was going to do foreign policy-wise. But ever since the end of the Cold War, and this crosses both Democrat and Republican administrations, each president who came in repute, says, I'm going to repudiate what the other president did. So nobody right now has given a vision. What is the reason America needs to be engaged in the global, war, global scene? What role does the United States play? united states play in the world order what what is it and you look at our young people today they're growing up in a world we come out of covid which basically shut down the country we have children growing up they um they graduate there's we have high inflation we have extremely amount of large debt there's there's challenges we're facing, but no one's given a vision of how they're going to solve these problems. So I would kind of agree with what the um, the call in, or at least the um, the person Hollowhead is saying,
1: because he he brings up more. He goes, "Yes, the culture wars are being used to wedge the issues and tear the country apart, from distracting us from the real
0: issues." No, I would I would I would, I would agree with them. Everybody's focusing on that, the cultural issues, instead of like what would like okay, let's take the presidential. Race. I mean, has anybody said, how are you going to reduce inflation? How are you going to get more jobs created? How are you going to end some of these things?
2: I also have questions about this, too, because the year is 2023 right now. And now we're allowed to ask questions about COVID. But don't forget about three years ago when we tried to ask questions. And that's the other problem. and And that's a lot of problems when we're trying to figure stuff out about a pro, uh, you know a plague coming into this country or, or globally, and all of a sudden you go to ask questions and you're just shut down immediately, and now we're figuring it out three years later.
0: Well, see, but you that's know. where the trust in the American institutions, okay, we just talked earlier in the program about the FBI and DOJ, how they lied and they did a false accusation of Russian collusion, right. but then go with COVID. Now we're finding out from the General Accounting Office who said the same thing as the Department of Energy and the FBI, that the, the likely origin of the COVID was from a lab leak. Yep. But also the General Accounting Office also is now reporting through evidence and research and you know getting all the documents that the National Institute of Health that was run by Dr. Fauci, we were told we didn't fund the Wuhan lab. Now we're finding out we did fund the Wuhan lab. So there's things that we're finding out, and this is where trust, like the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, was working with the teachers' unions to keep schools locked down. So we got kids graduating now who are unable to read at a grade level. So we'll
1: get back to uh, Hollow's comment, Uh, but um, I want to talk about, so we're enjoying a lot of freedoms here, and... Uh, whether they hate being hate America or they love America, they're still enjoying these freedoms. And once those freedoms are threatened, uh, you know, back in you know nine eleven, they found that their freedoms were you know were in were in jeopardy, is why they came together. So it wouldn't be uh, far from you know. China or somebody trying to attack us that it would unify the country. It's true. (laughs) But again, but but also you were talking about like we have a very low recruitment rate, but you know, right after nine 11, those recruiting offices were had lines out the door. Like it was a Marvel
0: movie. Okay. But the difference is you're right, but that was a direct attack on the United States. Would, how would America respond if Taiwan, if Taiwan, if China took Taiwan. Okay. That's, but, but the other aspects I also want to get to is our military capabilities. Yeah, we spend, and I mentioned this in the article, I we spend over $800 billion a year annually on the defense budget. But I've always said that our defense dollars aren't wisely spent. Now, Anthony Cortesman from the Center for, Center for Strategic International Study mentioned that we spend on each individual service they look at their parochial needs how does the marines army navy and air force focus into the national security strategy mm-hmm. but we spend on things that we could spend wisely and get more bang for the buck like right now we're behind china in hypersonic missiles we're at that I think we're just above the production or the, the the production level but we need to do things john
1: have you ever bought something from Wish? From Wish? Yeah, it's, it's Wish.com. It's like you get, you see all these cool items, you order them, they're Wish from time. China, they're crap. Okay, so anything China's producing, I mean, I'm not really taking, I'm taking it with a grain of salt. I got as it. As I would like anything from Russia. But I got it. But, ATF but, loves
0: but, <laughs> but But also you have to factor in, we can't rest on our laurels. If you look at history- as an example, in 1973, Israel thought they would. We always defeated the Arabs in the 1956 war, in the uh, 1967 Six Day War, and also the War of Attrition, mm-hmm. and they underestimated the Egyptian army, and they almost lost this the Yom Kippur War. So countries, and we're no different. It's just like after after the Persian Gulf War, the, the, we thought we were the hemogenic power. Nobody can defeat us, and what our adversaries in China realized, and we learned this the hard way in Iraq and Afghanistan, the the Gulf War was, um, countries learned how not to fight the United States. Mm -hmm. The Iraq War and Afghan War showed to the world how to fight the United States, and remember, we got kicked out of Afghanistan by a bunch of goat herders wearing flip-flops. So true, but we the, need
1: to, that extraction could have been better. And it, it
0: could have been, but also the military needs to focus on war fighting, and the whole mission of the Department of Defense is to deter war and protect the homeland. And I have a, um, and, a I know a senior commander at one of the regional commands, combat commands at McDill. And he spends half his day on diversity, equity, and inclusion training. So there's something we just got to—we can't rest, and we just got to be. Well, and I'm not saying go to war. I just want to be prepared, so we don't have to.
1: But also, like, I mean, in regards to like even like Vietnam and Afghanistan, those were conflicts we couldn't win. And kind of going back in like the history, especially like during the early '90s when we were aiding Afghanistan to beat Russia because we were just trying to pick a side. So even Russia had difficulty uh, taking down Afghanistan. So would I call that a loss? Not necessarily. Well, the
0: only thing I would disagree, Vietnam, when we went into Vietnam general Westmoreland, who was the ground commander there, he took a plan that was better suited to fight the Russians. And when we went into Vietnam, I mean, Afghanistan, we duplicated what the Russians did, who duplicated what the British did, who duplicated what the Persians and everybody else did. Yeah. So, we need to think about who we are fighting and how the like how the Chinese fight. How are they organized? How are they equipped? What do they do? The last time China got in a major conflict was against um, Vietnam in 1978.
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of factors, like outside factors too, is like why you always look at the underdog when it comes to like. Football or like certain games and stuff like that is that you know when China goes in to fight, they're fighting because their country's telling them to fight. True. but when you're going up against somebody like America, you're not going up to them because their country's telling them to. You're going up to them because they want to.
0: I understand, but I just want I want our military to spend its money correct. I want our oh. generals to be able because remember we haven't won a war since World War II. Mm-hmm. I just wanted be prepared. So like George Washington once said when you speak into the joint session of the House and the Senate, the surest way to preserve peace is to prepare for war. Yeah. And, and we're but we're but right now they the their adversaries are looking at our divisions. They're looking at the weakness from the Biden administration. Okay. And but if you look at why cuz when the after the end of the Second World War, Military experts, national security went to Japan and Germany and they asked you, how did you think you could defeat Britain, Russia, and the United States, especially the United States, when you could, your industrial capacity was so far below and you were at max capacity and America wasn't because they didn't think we would fight? Also, that's the problem. Korea was the same way and so was the first Gulf war how also, we got in.
1: I also believe we're looking at things on the surface. Like you're they're looking at diversity and inclusion and um That'll be the drag the, dra- the drag show, uh, the drag shows in the Air Force base and stuff like that. And you're seeing that because that's just on the top. That's just like I really think if you maybe sat down with soldiers, marines, sailors, you know, maybe some Air Force guys You'd really know what's going on, and I bet you it has not changed from what was what what is going. I on. I talk
0: to a lot of military – because I, I got people in my church right outside, um, they're right outside McDill. I talk to mil- military person all the time, and they're. But you're I talked to one- you are also talking about the Air Force. I no, mean, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of Army there, and I talked to one special forces who was a I think a staff sergeant or sergeant first class, and he spent 14 years and says, I'm just done. I'm tired of doing all this type of training now, do we have anybody? I know I've seen some questions come in, okay, but anyway, I just I just want to be prepared, but even just overall, we need to get our fiscal house in order. We mm-hmm. need to get our defense dollars spending in the right way. But that's
1: not going to happen under this administration
0: well even but even for Republicans, when Republicans were in charge, they didn't really alter how the government spends the, the, the taxpayers' dollars. So, I mean, I'm glad they're doing it now, but we need a coherent plan because we're $32 trillion in debt. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of problems and we've got to get back to what each mission of the military is for. But we also got to reassure our allies and this administration, just just look how he engages with the um, our allies. I mean, when he went to Japan... For the G7 summit, he snubbed, I, I got it, we we're in this debt deal to raise the debt ceiling, but he snubbed Australia, and he snubbed Papua New Guinea. This was a chance to reassure our our staunchest ally in the Pacific, Australia, and he didn't even visit because he had to get back. And then we found out he wasn't even in the, the lead negotiator. He let everybody else do the negotiation, so... There's things we need to do, and I just want to be prepared so we don't have to go into conflict.
1: Uh, if you are on Twitter, what is it called? Twitter, Twitter Spaces. If you're on Twitter Spaces or TikTok, just hang on after the show. If you have any questions, we can go back and forth. But, John, how can you go ahead and get a hold of us? You
0: can get a hold of us by going to Reports at gmail.com, or you can check us out on all our social media spaces like plat- I mean, platforms like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter. Um, Then you can see us on all the other um, places where the podcast is posted, like Spotify. If you've got Apple phone, you can check that out. And we usually post it within about two days. But you can also see, by going to Ubaldi Reports, all the other podcasts we did. So keep following Ubaldi Reports because we want to do this every day, Monday through Friday, because there's a lot to talk about. But also, I want to recognize Joe and Ray and the podcast they do. That's a little bit more edgier than what I do here.
1: Yeah, we should have some more coming in in July. We're taking maybe like a month off while we get our business off the ground. Uh, but you well, can follow why don't you us. Tell people what the business is. Uh, so uh, inspired by Ray and I, but mostly Ray. Uh, Ray is a gunsmith, so why not get your gun worked on or fixed or even modified or upgraded? And you can go to Ray for that or eventually when we do have a storefront we can buy you can go ahead and purchase a firearm from us and our big picture is to have an outdoor range here in florida where everybody can enjoy the florida sun and shoot some guns yes i did not mean to make that rhyme
2: (laughs) and um also uh with the range we will also have uh we are a machine shop, so we will actually be able to manufacture both firearms and ammunition as well.
0: Nice guns. It'll
2: be a little bit on the...
0: And w- one uh, thing uh, about on Ray, and Ray is a good resource, if you. because I work at a, a, fire, a gun store that we sell firearms. And sometimes we get a lot of people come in for their first time ever buying a firearm. They don't know what to buy. Ray's a good resource to ask what type of firearm, and he'll ask you a dozen questions to make sure that you get... What are you going to use it for? Is it concealed? Is it for home defense? So you can get the firearm that is best suited for your needs instead of just having somebody sell you one just to sell you a firearm.
2: Um, and some news uh, recently, uh, the House passed the pistol brace uh, ban, so hopefully that'll get overturned. We expect Joe Biden to veto it. It's in the Senate. I think they're actually voting on it tonight or tomorrow night um, if that happens. The House and Senate will both have overturned the ATF rule, but this will veto. And once it goes and gets vetoed, this will go through the court system uh, to expect an overturn. Um, And I actually think the House was they were saying something about the House could actually overturn this. And also
1: remember, if you put a pistol brace on it. Ups the caliber of the... <laughs> yeah, I, I've never... Uh, God. Why didn't
0: you tell me this from the beginning? Well, I would have gotten if the one. if the president, let's say, um, signs it and the, the Congress overrules the president, that means that law is no longer invalid. They can go to the courts, yes, but that has to be a court case to get there. The Supreme Court usually doesn't overrule a veto unless it's a constitutional issue. But in this case, I would say they the president or the executive agency doesn't have the authority to make a major rule right. change like that. So that's the, the crux of the matter. All right. But, stay tuned for that. All right. But for the rest of you, if you want to stay on and ask questions on Twitter, excuse me, TikTok or Twitter spaces, please stay on.